you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waits, the Fearless Business Coach and founder of the Confidently Charged More Facebook group. I've got an amazing guest with me today who is going to be pulling back the curtains on Twitter. So if you want to grow your coaching consultants, uh, consultancy or freelance business, through Twitter, uh, through creative ideation, um, and through building communities and groups, then Dan Rice is going to be your guy to speak to today. So welcome to the show, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be on the show. So good, to, good for you to be here, because uh, I know we, there's, a, there's a lot which you've been through over the last few years, which we'll be talking about a little bit later on in the, uh, in the episode. Um, but uh, to kick things off, you talk about something called um, creation, creative ideation. Can you explain to us kind of what that is and what the process is that you have to go through in order to, to create ideas? Yeah. Okay. So there are two kinds of creativity. So you get the creativity that is kind of the, the artistic stuff. So um, creating visuals, uh, editing videos and things like this. But then you've got another form of um, creativity, which is creative ideation. And this is the, the bit that's probably most relevant to most business owners and consultants is the idea is that you're coming up with things approaches to problems, solutions to problems, and structures and strategies. And so rather than just following the status quo or what you've been doing all along, it's coming up with something a bit different, taking a bit of a different approach to it, and then putting that different approach into a test or a structure, and then executing that test or structure to then see what works, what doesn't, and then come up with new ideas off the back of that for either further experiments or to double down on something, or to say, that was a terrible idea. We should just ditch that whole thing that we spent six months building and start all over again. And it's okay to do that. It's just, that's part of the creative ideation. So it's a bit of a mixture of those things. Come up with the ideas, test them, put a structure in place, and then see if it works. So it's effectively kind of based around marketing, kind of to put it in, in plain English for, for most of the people out there. And the trouble is like a lot of the guru, gurus and experts tell you to kind of crank the marketing handle and do three posts a day here and five posts a day there. And, you know, make sure you engage with people like, you know, who like, comment and share against your post. But there's obviously some, some kind of common mistakes which you see people making in marketing in general. So um, what what's the difference then between kind of what all the gurus and experts are telling us and, and then versus kind of that, I guess, testing and validating those um, creative ideas? I think, I think we all know deep down that being, you know, being yourself and being personable is actually going to take you a long way. But I think what happens is a lot of the time we look for the shortcut or the system or the process that we can follow. And that's why people say the things like, Oh, just, post, you know, X amount of times per day and whatnot. These things, they have valid, uh, you know, reasons behind them. There are reasons why people say that sort of thing, because you will do better on Twitter if you post a certain amount every day and you engage with people every day. But if you're... If your post is like, you remember those Instagram bots that used to just share like a, a standard templated response to everyone. If you start to look like that in person, then you may as well have not bothered at all. And you can actually do your brand more harm than good because as soon as you look like you're an automated robot, 
then it's not actually going to be doing you anything, um, adding any value to your audience. So a lot of the way that Twitter works is that when you engage with people, then they are more likely to see your posts. And so I can see why people recommend that as, as, a, as a way and a path of growing. Um, but I think the biggest problem that people come up against is that they believe that there is a golden bullet, um, that they can just just do one thing, which is just set up an automation machine um, and just say they get an RSS feed that feeds into their Twitter that then posts it onto their Twitter feed. And then they wonder, well, why isn't anyone looking at my website? It's because it gets lost within all of that RSS feed of a bunch of irrelevant nonsense that doesn't really make any sense to your audience. These things have value, but you've got to pay attention to how you do them. Um, and you can't just post everything automatically. Why, why do you think it is that people are kind of looking for that silver bullet though? Because there must be a reason why everybody thinks that, you know, is it, because from my perspective, the reason why I see people, especially in our group, you know, there's a lot of coaches, consultants and freelancers in there who are effectively time poor, not least because they're not charging enough. Obviously, that's a major part of what I do. But the second thing is that, that again, they're just too busy trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. So what, what else do you think kind of drives this, uh, this like desire to kind of get those quick wins and automate stuff? On the, on the positive side, it would be things like they, they want to get something so that they can build, uh, build in sort of like a, a passive set of leads so that then they can use them. Um, and then they can focus their attention on what they're actually good at rather than marketing, which isn't what everyone's good at, obviously. Um, but on the, on the less good side, it's, I think it's frankly, it's laziness. It's if people aren't really, they aren't really willing to put in the work that they know that they need to do. And so they go, well, I've been told I need to do Twitter. So I may as well just automate that and just ignore it and then wonder why it doesn't work. Um, not every business will need Twitter. Not every business will benefit from Twitter. But I think particularly when you're talking um, small companies or lone entrepreneur companies, then Twitter is a great place for, for people to be. And yeah, and I think it's a good platform for people to build from as long as they are willing to put in that time. Um, there are ways to shortcut that and to make that better. But I think a lot of people aren't willing to put in that time in the first place to get the structure right. And then once you've got the structure right, obviously, then you can, you can do a lot more with it. But yeah, so there is a good and a bad side of why, of why people work like that. And I think when it comes to the guru thing, I think a lot of gurus will sell a result that they can't really deliver on. And so because they've sold that result, then they have to keep on hammering the fact that that result actually works when really they're actually not, not doing that. They're actually creating great content or getting their, their team to create great content and that's what's working. They're then selling a course about how, or, or selling something, which then tells you how to do something which they haven't even done themselves. Um, I think that's all too often what's happening. And so people will see that and go, well, there's my shortcuts to success. Um, if I do that and then I can deliver great results, then I've got the whole picture. But there are, there are kind of people out there who are doing it, like experts are doing it incredibly well. So there's a guy, you know, who I follow, who he does, he talks a lot about sort of um, American guy, real estate investing and things like that and done it very successfully. But he's also built like a seven figure, you know, passive income from his YouTube channel. And one of the ways that he actually makes money off his YouTube channel is he sells a YouTube course. But the guy's got, you know, several million subscribers. He's got tens of hundreds of millions of views across his channel. So he clearly has done it well himself. But, and actually you look at the course and it's actually a really, 
a really good quality course, what he's actually put together, whether it's relevant to somebody like me, for example, who is not into real estate and not into the whole sort of, you know, Bitcoin and financial advice and stuff like that. I don't know whether that side of it would be kind of a mismatch. But one of the, one of the things I see quite a lot of, um, Marketing is just incredibly confusing generally anyway. You know, back, back, I talk about a lot, you know, back in the day when I set up my first business, and we're a similar sort of age, we've probably both experienced this. And in 2004, when I built my first commercial website, um, you know, it, 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 all you needed was a business card and a website back then that was going to, you know, your website got found in Google and you'd be first page for web design Stroud and away you go. Um, you know, and that's how most of our clients built their businesses off the back of those two things. But at the time, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram didn't exist. YouTube was rubbish because bandwidth sucked. You know, Google My Business wasn't the thing. Like all of these platforms that we now are told by the experts to use just didn't exist. So marketing was actually really easy then. And also there were half the number of businesses back then as well. It's like 2 million small businesses in the UK. Now there's 6 million, you know. So again, there was like, you know, there wasn't as much noise either. So I, I think, again, kind of sticking my hand up for all of the people out there who are in a similar sort of boats, one-man bands, you know, marketing is incredibly confusing. And you, you said something really important there. You said, well, if Twitter's not going to work, for, if Twitter's not right for your business, don't try and double down on it. So how do you start to work out, I know we're going to talk about Twitter in a lot more detail shortly, but how do you start to work out which platform is, is the right one? Well, it, it does actually lend itself quite well to actually talking about how you would work with the Twitter structure. Um, it goes back to something that I sort of alluded to before. It's kind of like, how are you going to build a funnel that you can then test? And so um, what I would do is rather than just saying, oh, well, I've been doing really well on Instagram, that's what I'm going to double down on. I would actually take the time to test, to, to build and test the funnel on all of my likely networks, um, including Twitter. And so this works really well on Twitter. So you're really sort of looking at three stages of a funnel. You're trying to grab attention, then you're trying to develop it once you've got it, and then you're trying to, to convert it afterwards. So what I would do is in testing out my key platforms is I would get two or three platforms that I wanted to test, um, create this funnel for the two or three different platforms, and then do a, simply track how it goes. So how many people click from those social media platforms to your um, to whatever it is you want to convert them to. And then once you've done that, then you see how many have clicked and how many from there convert into actual clients or um, even prospects that you can then develop over time. Um, I think the real numbers are going to come out of that. If you try and speculate in advance, you can get very skewed results. If, I've, if I'm just generally into photography, say, um, and then I've got my casual own um, Instagram uh, Twitter and Facebook, then Instagram is always going to be miles ahead because I'm just naturally into photography. And so, um, but that might not be the best platform to market my business on. So that's why I recommend that you should look at two or three different platforms, build the structure out and test it to see what works. Um, because otherwise you can quickly get caught in, especially things like TikTok that's come up recently. You look at the, the amount of organic views that people get if you just chase the latest thing every single time that it comes out, then you'll be, you'll be on 12 platforms by now. But so that's, but that's what the likes like Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He's, and we've both seen him speak, you know, that's the yeah. event where we met, you know, <laughs> four years ago at the old York hall in London. Um, you know, it was actually incredibly inspiring, but like one of the things I remember him saying back then, somebody asked a question about which platform should I get onto? It's like Snapchat, Snapchat's where all the kids are at. You know, you want to be on Snapchat because that's going to get across into business. 
that's kind of gone by the wayside. And then I was listening to his podcast and then he started this year. TikTok, TikTok's where all the kids are at. You got to get onto TikTok. And I'm like, it's, it's a bit, it does get a bit repetitive. I mean, the guy's really inspiring, but I think he's also giving out some shit advice, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, he, did you remember a network called Peach? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, it was really like it was. It had some really good, like quirky features, but it was pretty terrible. It like not really many people signed up. But he really doubled down on the fact that that was going to be the leading network for quite a while. Um, yeah, I think a lot of what his a lot of what he does well is attracting the right people and do it, uh, and you know, and giving them. It, it's it's more like um, a business philosopher rather than giving you anything more than that. So if you're in the right moment, then he's an absolute perfect person to have because he will inspire you to get started and get going. But if you're beyond that, then actually you probably need to be looking elsewhere um, when you're looking at more sort of like the tactics and strategies that are actually going to get you anywhere. Um, very good for inspiration is what I found. And that beyond that, I'm a bit not so sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he keeps on doing this where he will come up with a platform, like whatever the platform is, and he will really push at it. And the reason he can be success, successful at that is because he's got people following him around filming everything that he does. And he does a lot of interesting things, um, which takes, you know, it takes you back to what you can do with your own social media promotion. If you're doing interesting things, then share them. Well, I, people... I can guarantee as well that TikTok have probably offered him $125,000 to go and speak at one of their events as well. Not at the moment, obviously, during the crisis, but I bet we'll yeah. see him speaking at a TikTok event like we saw him speaking at Snapchat events and all those sorts of things. But so it's good for his profile. And the thing is, like ultimately... He has got such a strength and depth in following. If, you know, out of his million followers, I don't know how many he's got, probably more, a lot more than that. But at, let's say he's got a million followers. If 10,000 of them, you know, get onto TikTok and 1,000 of them get success through marketing through TikTok, it kind of becomes a bit of a numbers game if enough of them validate, you know, through that platform. But I guess, like, for, again, small business, bring it back to small business owners, um, you know, where one-man bands who are, you know, you talk about kind of, building out the funnel, but then trialing, you know, getting the attention on three different platforms, that that's even more work for a small business owner to do. So is there a, is there a tendency there that it's either too much work and they just won't get started or they're, they'll, they're splitting like their efforts across now three different platforms and will that water down the effect? I think what most people will do is they will spend more effort achieving less rather than putting together a basic structure um, all I mean by, by one of these tests is to create yourself a checklist of 10 activities that are focused on one of those three areas. So the developing, the, the building an audience, developing your audience or converting an audience, build yourself a checklist of say 10 items for that network, then produce content for that, to that delivers on those three, these three areas. Um, not forgetting that you can person, you know, personal message and DM and stuff as well. Those are also valuable activities. But once you've got that sort of 10-point checklist, then execute on that for a week, a month, however long you, you feel like you want to do, and then do it for the other two. I've got a personal checklist that I use that has about, I think it's about 15 items on, and that does go across multiple networks, but that's because social media is my bag. Um, yeah. For most people, you could probably do it with 10, um, and I regularly would get people to do it with 10. If you can do it every day of the week, brilliant but at the moment i am frankly working a couple of days a week um and that's it because of my personal life so it's like if you put it in that perspective if i'm if this is a real focus for me and i'm getting results 
from a couple of days a week doing that mini miniature checklist, then I think that is something that if you can fit in, say, 15 minutes a day, then you can actually build a really big pipeline out of it. Some people I've worked with will get results literally the day that we start working together. Some people will need to build it over a longer period of time. Um, typically, it's down to order size and value as to how much trust and authority you need to build. Yeah. Like if you're selling lower value or group coaching things, then they will typically be able to sell. If you've got a, a, a professional looking landing page and you've got everything set up and in place, then you will be able to convert pretty much the day you start. If you're trying to sell something like a, a big full-on coaching retreat, say, or something like this, then yeah, don't expect to be like, like any platform. Don't expect to be turning it around within a few days. You've got to know that you're going to be spending a lot more time developing their interest and, 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 and coming up with ways that you've kind of got to look at their objections as to why they might not buy. And then you've got to solve them for them one by one over time. If you can identify the right problems and solve them for them one by one over time, then that's when you're going to you're going to convert into a, into a proper lead. So Twitter is no different than any other platform in that way. You've got to come up, you've got to grab their attention, prove that you've got the solution to their, all their problems, and then go ahead and convert it. So I, I talk a lot about, I mean, this goes hand in hand, I think, um, and you're kind of alluding to it. We talk about three numbers in Fearless Business, 70, 10, 2. So set, for every 70 conversations you start, 10 will become calls and then two of them will hopefully become clients. And I think a lot of people kind of just blindly go out and start using something like Twitter without any ideas about what their goals are with it and then wonder why they don't get a result. Well, you can't get a result if you don't know what the purpose of you actually being on that platform is. So with something like Twitter specifically, and you alluded to this with your, with your checklist, you mentioned DMs as being kind of one, one thing on that strategy which you're doing, and you've got the, the three different sort of um, focus areas of the strategy in terms of attention and audience and things like that. But So what, what else is on that, that checklist? What else should people be doing sort of every day to start to build up, you know, those, start those conversations, get those consultations booked in and hopefully make a few sales? Yeah, you, well, you should build your, your if say you're going to do this checklist of 10 items, then I would typically build it around. So it's, it's okay to schedule tweets in advance or to come up with or have, you know, things posting automatically. But what I would expect you to do is at least one live tweet or message to any, whichever social media platform you're talking about. But in this instance, one tweet, um, I'd expect you to at least respond to a few other people's messages because that obviously then means that you're more likely to appear on their feed. And so they're more likely to appear, like respond to you. Um, it also, when you've got, if you've got a problem with your, with um, trying to come up with lots of creative ideas of what to post, then responding to other people builds you the same traction without having to think up new things. And so it lessens the amount that you have to come up with new things. And the bonus of that is, is because you're consuming what they're writing, then you start to get more ideas about what to post. So it actually is a perpetual cycle that builds and gives you a lot more ideas for yourself. So, yeah, so I would do live tweeting. I would make sure that you are responding to people's comments um, who are in your, feed, in your natural feed. I would then look at lists. So create lists of your own. So I've got them for things like um, podcasts I want to be on, um, media outlets I want to speak to, prospects, things like this. So you've got your lists and you can shortcut your way to speak to finding the tweets of these people um, and then respond to them and you can grab their attention that way. Um, but I would also encourage you to find other people's lists as well. So I've got a few that are created by prominent people in SEO or um, digital marketing or social media. 
and I follow their list. So I don't necessarily follow everyone that's on that list, but then I'm opening myself out to a whole new audience of people to follow. Um, so I would also follow them. Um, I would not be afraid to experiment. So I would say put in something a bit different every day. So post something original every day. That would be, that would be a definite one. Um, yeah, those would be the key activities that I would say. I wouldn't say do like fit, fit in anything like a lot of people will recommend, say, retweet two people a day or, you know, or do something like that. But what I'm commonly finding is that people are getting shadow banned, effectively shadow banned for just retweeting people a bit too much. So if you forget to do the rest of it and you just keep on retweeting people and that's all you do, you can effectively, like, you may as well just not be tweeting to anyone. Um so that is one activity I would not put on my list. Explain what shadow banning is, because you're the second person this week who's actually used that, that, that phrase. The first person used it in the um, sort of con- context of Facebook. So what, what is yeah. shadow banning? So basically, the idea is that the, the algorithm kind of works out who is trying to cheat the system. And they, they identify behaviors that they think are trying to cheat the system. And so what it does in retaliation to that is restricts the amount of people that can see your content it tries to sort of fight back against you trying to, to cheat them. Um, and the way it does that is stops people seeing your, your content. So on Twitter, you can tweet. Sometimes you could tweet 10 times a day and somebody in your audience still won't see it because it won't turn up on the feed. Sometimes you can tweet twice a day and it will turn up on their feed twice a day. This is why it's important to do the engagement properly. Um, but if you don't and you just do things robotically, it won't show up. So, because it won't show up, people try and cheat that by, by doing all sorts of things. Um, and all Twitter do is as soon as you start to try and cheat it, it will restrict that to even less and less people. So you may as well not have the followers. You're only going to be seen by one or two people, even in an audience. I've seen the worst case I've seen is that they were getting maybe a dozen people viewing from thousands of followers um, on a tweet. And that is, you know, you, I would struggle to make that happen that badly if I, if I really tried. Um, so it sounds like it the, algorithms the, a, the algorithms have gone a bit bipolar then. So you've got like a good algorithm and a bad algorithm and you don't want to be on the bad algorithms like radar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, it, it, all, it's trying, all they're trying to do is trying to stop people from cheating the system because if you cheat the system and find a way around it that doesn't add value to their audience, the audience are just going to go away um, and if the audience go away, then they can't charge their advertisers to advertise on the platform. So it makes a lot, they've got to retain a certain level of quality. Now, it's arguable whether they do the right things to maintain that quality, but they do still try and do it. And so they will, they will restrict you heavily if well, you like, try what, and cheat Wouldn't it. it make our lives that much easier as kind of marketers if, if they actually had a little notification pop up and said, Hey, we can see your cheating system, like using bots. We can see that you're just retweeting stuff. Here's here's ten things that you could try and do to actually engage like a, a real human being. That would be a lot more of a sensible approach. Yeah, I think I think they just try and do it in silence rather than trying to do it in, in public. Because I think I think the, the problem is that a lot of the people that they kind of rely on for advertising dollars are have also pursued some sort of shady idea or tactic at some point in their lives. And so um, because that's happened, then they would get uproar if people started being able to actively and openly identify that, you know, they were getting shadow banned because they'd done something that they'd just seen a big guru do. Um, The big gurus get away with it sometimes because they are the advertising people as well. So um, 
yeah, so you, you, get, you get a bit more leeway if you're one of their best customers, aren't you, really? Yeah, so, it seems um, a little bit unethical to me. Does yeah, it seem so, like, you know, they're really taking the moral high ground there by kind of giving giving influential people like, you know, make it easier for them to kind of build their audiences, but make it harder for the, the small people because we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. And so that's why it's, it's you just got to be, you got to be quite careful before you set up anything that's massively over robotic. Um, I think we all, we all sort of have a feeling of that. And we all sort of know how we like to be treated by people who we follow um, as well. And so as long as it's got some personal edge to it, then usually you're not going to get into that sort of trouble buy a lot of retweets. I mean, I test a lot of this stuff because, you know, I just love to test things. Um, I, I've tested retweeting over and over again to see what damage it does. It does have a lot of that. It does a lot of significant damage. Um, I would also say when, with my own personal Facebook, uh, not Facebook, uh, Twitter, I do actually experiment with stuff as well. Like one of my recent experiments was seeing how many questions I could ask in a row before it damaged my following. Um, so that was quite an interesting one. And you can see that repetitive behavior does actually have a damaging effect. Um, so if you ask between sort of one and three questions in a row, it will typically mean that they start, people start to engage more with your questions. When you get to four or more, (laughs) you start to lose followers. Um, and your engage engagement quality goes down as well. So we put a sort of a qualitative measure of how good the responses were to not just the tweets that we were doing, but the tweets around them. And we found that generally the quality of people's responses was a bit more, yeah, woohoo, great, you know, just a bit more plain and rubbish Um, rather than them going, oh yeah, let's talk about this. Oh, I had this idea or, oh, I use this platform and this is why you should use this to grow your business. so that was very important. It reduces the quality if you do the repetitive behavior. Okay. And that's what we're finding over and over again with these experiments. If you do the same thing too often of anything, it's, go, it's going to restrict it. So the idea, the best idea is to mix things up. And I, I'm getting the, the, the general kind of feeling from you as well that it's, it's all about just showing up as, and being a real human being at the end of the day. Yes. The more you can do that, the better. I mean... I'm probably one thing I'm probably guilty of personally is not doing enough um, video and live now, but I, I suffer quite badly with anxiety. So I have to really G myself up to do things like video and stuff. Um, so, and it comes across naturally, but that, t- that takes me a good half an hour, an hour effort, you know, to really get into the place that I'm ready for it. For most, for a lot of people, like if you're not in marketing, is that something that you're going to put the effort into, into doing? Um, so, yeah, you've got to know what you can do and where you can, where you can mix things up because I do generally still come across quite well when it comes to doing video and things like this. Um, so you'll probably surprise yourself. And so that's why I think you've got to test things. You've got to try and put yourself out of your, out of your comfort zone a bit. Um, and that's not something that people will naturally do. So I would say try, try on a small basis. If you've only got a small Twitter following, then that's actually the perfect time to start trialing something what will often happen is someone will will try putting up a few sort of um, curated graphics or memes or something like this, or they will put up a video with uh, their top tip about X, Y, or Z. And they'll find that the first sort of 10 messages or so haven't really caught on. Then they'll get one, which just surprises the hell out of everyone. And then all of a sudden they've added on like 200 followers just from, just from a tweet um, because they discovered their real zone of sort of power for want of a better phrase. Um, and that is usually something that is a little bit out of their comfort zone. And so that's why I'd like to encourage just pushing a little bit further 
and, and doing a little bit more. Is there any um, science behind how tags work on Twitter? There's lots of studies, but they're all contradictory. Um, I, with hashtags, I would probably say don't, I believe the, the, the best research seems to suggest don't do any more than two hashtags. Um, certainly don't do them in the middle of sentences. That is not a good idea. I think this is probably something that I will be setting up an experiment with over the next coming few months because it is something that people frequently ask. And the, the, the problem I have with that is the fact that I don't believe I can produce more compelling research than the people who have already done it um, because of the things like the algorithms change and there's a difference in terms of the quality of posts. I have access to quite a few Twitter accounts that I can test with, so I can give you a vague idea. And that's how we usually build our strategies. We test something on the five accounts, the 10 accounts, and then implement it with clients and then see how that goes. Um, but if you haven't got access to that, that's kind of a bit more difficult to, to test. So I, I've got to work that out. I'll structure that and see how it goes. But I would say don't do any more than two in, two in a tweet. You just, it's, it's so otherwise it's just going to look robotic. Us because most people will be, you know, spamming the keywords, that, uh, the, the hashtags in the, in the post and not realizing again what damage they're doing. You, you, um, you talk, so obviously like we, we can use Twitter to kind of um, create that initial attraction and start conversations off with people. Um, after that, then, in terms of like the engagement, so obviously that's where you start to build a community. Maybe have a Facebook group or something where you drive traffic to. So, you again, you you talk about pros and cons of doing sort of either or both of those. Yeah. Um, so the three best ways we found to convert from a Twitter audience were signing up to an email list, converting to a phone call, or signing up to a Facebook group. Now, they obviously come with all, all of their different ways. Like the, the, the most likely to convert directly was a phone call. Um, the, the second was a Facebook group and the email list is, is the longest term strategy in there. But really, you're, I mean, if you're looking at a quick conversion, then call is going to be the only way that you're going to, you're going to execute on that, in my experience. Um, if you're looking at a longer game, and I would recommend looking at a longer game, I would look at building a Facebook group or looking at an email list as your two ways of, of building up your audience because you want to be able to engage them over time. You, Unless you can solve everyone's problems straight away without sounding like you're overselling, then you're, you're, you shouldn't expect to sell straight away. We all know when we're being sold to, and so it's only if somebody has got everything we want that we're going to accept that. We're going to accept the anxiety. I'm smiling because I have a saying for that. When we we've all seen it on social media, it's it's a buy my shit offer. Yeah. Where all it is is just like I've got this great product. Come and buy it. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at how good mm. I am. And it's like, no, no, no. Hang on. You've missed the point of marketing here. You need to kind of just um, calm that down a little bit. Lead with a gift, and then kind of you know then pull people into community your community, and that's where you can start to kind of educate them about you know who you work with, why you work with them, what results you get, and all the all the good stuff. But um, yeah, we've seen we've all seen far too many buy my shit type offers. <laughs> I mean, there's one thing that um, that I think most people who are in marketing certainly, but entrepreneurs and coaches and consultants should certainly look at as well is learning um, objection handling training. Um, so if you can get your hands on, like I've had objection handling training because I did sales and new business development um, before I went into all this. Um, but I would recommend it to people. It's a case of identifying what the problems are that people are likely to have with your solution and then finding a way to let them know that you have already thought of that um, and you have a solution in, in mind that takes that into account. So if 
you you know you know you had some sort of objection questions in your in your group the other day um if people say oh i've got to speak to my partner then you've got to respond to it in a certain way um and the one thing that was always said in 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 this training was don't whatever you do say oh what so you don't make the decisions because that instantly just puts someone's back up straight away if they don't make the decisions you've just hit on their absolute sore point if they do make the decisions, but they are, have got something more to consider in their personal life, and that means that they've got to, con- you know, they've got to speak to their partner, and it's a legitimate thing, then you've just put them off for life. Um, and it's that easy to put someone off for life if you if you go in really hard, really aggressive, and and do the things that are really off putting to people, then you can lose somebody who could have quite easily developed into tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Um, and you're not always going to know which one was which, whether it was a good lead or a bad lead. I mean, I've picked up um, clients for worth tens of thousands off um, LinkedIn, simply through LinkedIn relationships and it was membership and charity organizations. People you would never think would be your, your primary target for, for gaining such contracts, but it's possible. And it shows you that um, you've got to start paying attention to social media. I think that's why I then started paying attention to social media was because I had a few deals like that coming up in new business development. And I was teaching people who were 20 years my senior that they needed to get on this LinkedIn and this Twitter thing, because that's how they're going to find their next new customers in new business. It's not just a case of knowing who you know, you've got to find someone else. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where the growth comes from. But again, doing it in a, in a, in a way that's polite, friendly and helpful, you know, versus, like I said, just kind of throwing marketing shit all over your prospects and hoping that some of it's going to actually stick. Oh, yes. Um, you know, we, we don't want to be those people. We don't want any, anybody listening to this to be those types of people. Oh, um, no. you, you alluded to, um, we're going to talk about get to know the real Dan, actually, um, yeah. a little bit now, because you, you kind of alluded to it over the last few years about some of the struggles which you've had of kind of getting yourself set up and um, having the confidence to be able to get in front of um, video. You know, one of the most common things, which, I, 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 in fact, I think I, you may have even heard it when I told this story, I did a video about it recently, um, I was at a, uh, a, a conference before lockdown and um, a very excitable young lad came up to me and he said, I really enjoyed your talk. He said, what's the one marketing tip you could give somebody to starting out a business? I was like, video, you know, because you can, you can do quick video, you know, picture paints a thousand words, but a video paints a thousand pictures, you know, get your message across, you can build rapport with people, you can get it repurposed, send it to Revdo. And I went on this massive rant and then he went, oh, what's the second most important thing that you could do in, in, in you know, marketing? I was like, no, no, you missed the points video. You just, just all yeah. about video. So why are you, why were you kind of scared of video initially? What, and what changed? Um, it's like one thing that, that you can't really see from me now is I was born deaf. And so I still have a really significant hearing problem. Um, it led to me having really real big problems with speaking when I was younger and it's still, because I know what I'm looking for, if I watch a video back of myself, then I can identify sort of 10 or 15 ticks that I have um, that then have, I've had to repetitively try and train out of myself. Um, and because I'm then thinking about that whilst I'm on video, then I then overthink things and stop thinking about what it is that I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. And so I will then find myself in a loop 
uh, whereas I start to then focus on what I'm focusing on rather than focusing <laughs> on the on the on the discussion. So if you've asked me a question, say about Twitter, then I can be like, oh, but I was thinking about what whether you know whether I sounded scratchy in that point or whether I well you know before this call, like how many questions did I ask you about the lighting, the sound quality, all this sort of thing? Because my brain is going, oh, this is going to be wrong. This is going to be wrong. This is going to be wrong. And so it's important for me to try and quieten that down and to work on, on what I can to make things work. Because I know that I know deep down logically that I can come across very well professionally because I've been in sales or marketing ever since I left university and every blooming manager I've ever had has told me, once you came out of your shell, you were excellent at this. It's just that I've got to get out of the shell by myself once it's just me. Once it's me acting by myself as an entrepreneur, then I've got to obviously deal with it myself. And so I think that's been a big problem for me over time. Um, I did a, I've done a few public speaking courses and things like this to identify the problems and get past that. So I did one and um, there was part of it was to do a Facebook live singing and dancing along to one of your favorite songs. Now I know all the words to pretty fly for a white guy. So, um, so I ended up doing a, a Facebook live of that. Doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was basically, I, I saw that the challenge went up in the morning and you know, when you're sort of the peer pressure of a group that, and that worried me all day. I was like, I, I can't remember what I was doing at the time, but I was just rubbish all day worried about it. Then I went, you know what, sod this, I'm just going to do it. And uh, it must've been about half six in the evening or something like that. So I actually did it expecting everyone else to have already done it. And it turned out I was the only one in the group that had actually taken up the challenge of about 40 people. And I think that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me, just like, ah, you're not the only one <laughs> who has these kind of problems. You're not the only one who has these kind of concerns. Um, if you can put this into your into your regular marketing mix, then it's actually going to be really powerful. Now, I then ended up going into jobs and things, where, which meant that I didn't have to do video. So I'm now at a point where I'm now having to rediscover that whole ability to be able to do video and things again without relying on pages and pages of notes being in front of me, without relying on lots of tricks and things to get me around it. Because as soon as I focus too much on that, I won't focus on what I'm meant to be talking about. One of the um, one of the most I think impactful forms of marketing that I've been on the receiving end of is is just uh, you know everybody knows on LinkedIn for example you can send a well hopefully everybody knows you can send a voice note to somebody from the mobile app right but several a couple of times I've had people actually do a personalised sixty second video to me so I had one guy who went through and did a quick review of my YouTube channel um, sent a really nice video with like three tips in it that I could use I I I used them immediately got more views on my YouTube videos and then I was like let's do a bit of work together because I think there's some value in this um, but it was that going the extra mile and with that personalized approach via video um, so it's not just about doing marketing videos this is actually about making an, a making a personal approach um, with video again is is such a powerful thing and you can do that via via Twitter you can do it via LinkedIn you can do it via Facebook any of the platforms um, you know and, and even like every time I get a voice note I'm like oh god not another voice note I'm probably going to get bombarded now by people who want to sell me stuff with videos you know video 
um, messages and stuff. Go for it. I'll tell you what, maybe this is a challenge for everybody listening to this now. It's like pitch Robin via video um, and, and Dan and I will, will critique them and see you know, whether they pass or not, um, see how good they are. But I, I think getting over that hurdle for you is kind of made, um, uh, it sounds like it's made really positive impact on you in terms of like your own personal growth Oh, yes. I had one year where um, between stress and a stomach issue, I think I had something like 32 days off of sick, which just completely ruins your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your ability to do any sort of productive work. Um, and that, and because then obviously you are then stressed because of it, then you end up getting making yourself far worse. Um, so it ended up being a, com- a combination of things that actually led to that. Um, and just, it was just a case of knocking each one down one by one. Um, so it then led to me, uh, you know, doing things with my diet in terms of doing things in, no, I, I now work, um, or did work part-time, um, about up until doing freelancing. So I'm now still working part-time. So splitting my time between being a stay-at-home dad and doing the, the freelancing as well. So there's a much more suitable lifestyle for how I've, uh, how I've got to operate. Because frankly, if I don't work in a way that controls that sort of thing very carefully, then I fall over to the point where I'm not going to be able to do any work whatsoever, which, you know, so whilst it looks like on paper, I'm working full-time, I'm not. At all, I'm actually working less than I would be if I controlled it properly. But that, but that's a good thing because I think you go through those challenges and it kind of gives you a bit of focus as well. And it, it, you need to have those things to to challenge you in order to kind of create a bit of stretch and growth in yourself. And um, you know, it doesn't. I, I think my point is, it doesn't matter whether you know. I, I've always run my own business, and it's always kind of, but it's never been easy. It's actually always been a bit of a challenge, you know, because I. I found myself just kind of pandering to stereotypes when I first set up my businesses years ago. Um, now, now it's, it's taken me sort of, you know, 40 awful attempts at doing videos on YouTube and various other sort of things just to look at and go, really, did I do that? But you have to go through that sort of, it's the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's challenges in order to kind of grow and, and finally be able to kind of unleash yourself on the world as to who you really are. And you're, you're doing some really great things through, um, uh, uh, sort of your freelance work as well now, um, you know, which we're obviously discussing sort of behind the scenes, but what are you working on at the moment? What's, what's kind of, what's the future look like for Dan? Um, so I'm doing a couple of things really. It's, it's mainly around freelancing and coaching people individually. So building is essentially coming up with the ideas that help you to build a, a funnel for your business. So um, with, like a lot of my work has come from digital marketing agencies where they've had the same client for a number of years. Um, and so they need somebody to come in with fresh ideas for how to attract new customers. Um, so some pretty big names who I can't reveal because they wouldn't like me to reveal the fact that I'm coming up with their ideas. Um, but the, yeah, so it's quite, that, that, that's, a, that's, um, that's my real stretch work, my real, my really interesting stuff that I get to do, but it is stretching. Imagine trying to come up with those sort of ideas for a big agency. Um, it can be very difficult. Um, yeah. You've got to do a lot of research and be willing to do the research that other people aren't willing to do. 
Um, so here's a tough question for you then. Yeah. Obviously, we've got a lot of coaches, consultants, and freelancers in the group. If we come up with one creative idea for them to try out over the next sort of week or month or yeah. three or six months, however long it's going to be, um, to market their business, what's something which they could, everybody could sort of have a go at? I think everyone should, should try and create a, a mini-series on video whereby they share a hint or tip about something to do with their, their business that will work for their audience. So you've got to try and within 30 seconds, solve a problem for your, for your audience. It doesn't matter if that solved problem is how to log into this program or how to, you know, de-lint something, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter how minor that problem is. You just want to get into a, doing a series of, I am solving the problem after the problem after problem as regularly as possible ideally i'd like to see if you could do it every day if you could do it every day for a week then you see how it went and then you can pick up on the ones that are most important and then reevaluate, and then do the same again the next week that shows so that like you're a, actually like taking a iterative process challenge or something like that yeah kind of, um, but actually rather than it being a challenge which people have to like heavily engage with actually let's make it a bit more simple for them and just give them a simple tip one thing to action every day to solve yeah. a really specific problem. Cool. Exactly. That's super helpful. I think everybody should be able to do that, shouldn't they, with a little bit of planning? Um, I'm a big fan of that. You've just I did uh, a little while ago, I did a series called The 10 Things Every Business Needs, and it was incredibly well received. And it was just talking about little software apps or hacks that people could kind of bring into their business to not from marketing from a marketing perspective, more through a process perspective, um, systems to automate stuff. And so they stopped dropping the ball basically. Um, and that was very well received. So um, cool. Listen, we're we're kind of getting towards the um the 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 end of the interview. It's been fantastic having you on the show, Dan. I've got a couple of questions just to kind of wrap things up um obviously i mean it's it's going to be all about social but how can people get hold of you so the best place is my website and i've actually set up a page just for today so it's iamdanrice.co.uk forward slash ccm so that's for confidently charge more facebook group which awesome. is obviously where this is going live so that's iamdanrice.co.uk forward slash ccm and that's just a place where you can sort of let us know if there's any questions that you have around Twitter or any ideas or thoughts you have. Um, otherwise, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, uh, generally most social media as I am Dan Rice. Great. Excellent. So my final question for you, and by the way, Laurie Miller's just jumped onto the uh, the chat and said, that was very helpful. Thank you. So I'm guessing Laurie's going to be off making her um, seven day mini series there about how to help her clients, which is excellent. Um, so that's one person uh, restored. We've restored the faith in humanity and one, one confidently charged for more member this morning, which is great. So good work, Dan. Right. Final question then. So we're going to hop into the um, uh, fearless business time machine now, Dan, and we're going to, um, you get to choose a slight back to the future which date we're going to go back to in the past and you're going to have a word with dan rice minus x number of years so when is it and what are you going to say to dan oh what as in me in the past yep um i think i would probably go back to when i was at university and i would say to to start today to start practicing because the things that i have regularly practiced over time have become my core skills there are things that I enjoy doing now that I'd enjoy a lot more because I'd be a lot more skilled at them if I'd have started practicing then. Um, and there are things that, that then that I was trying to beat the drum with, things like, say, computer programming, which I'm terrible at. Um, I was trying to get into that at the time, and I think I'd abandoned that because I, I think I knew at the time I didn't enjoy it. 
So I would say find, find the bits that you actually enjoy and start doing little and often every day because that would be 10 years worth of experience out of, out, of, out of that. And I'd have enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than trying to do computer programming for five of those. I think so many people also get like focused on, on money. I bet there was a driver behind like why, why you were doing that, I guess. And um, we, we don't give ourselves the freedom to find the thing that we really love and double down on that instead yeah. and actually i've always like since since kind of you know, i've been in business now 16 years it's only the last sort of um four years since i set up the coaching practice or coaching program for fearless business that i've realized that money is actually a byproduct of doing something which i'm really passionate about and a job well done basically and getting great results for the clients then i make money as a third tier to, to both of those things um, so sound advice excellent advice there Dan listen it's been an absolute pleasure Dan we're going to wrap up there thanks ever so much for coming on to the Fearless Business Podcast really appreciate you giving up your time this morning thank you very much for having me